This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. This week, I sit down with Courtney Doyle to discuss identity in Christ versus identity and motherhood and how easily we place our value in the perceived successes of our children. You'll hear Courtney share about losing her home to Hurricane Rita, life as a mother to a child who is an addict, and the ways God has sustained her through it all. You'll feel like you're sitting down with a wise and honest friend. This conversation is incredibly practical and real. Before we begin, I want to invite you to join me on Instagram and Facebook at Grace Enough Podcast underscore Amber. I hope I don't sound too desperate, but to be honest, podcasting can be lonely. Beyond the interview, I work independently. I don't have a team. And if you know me or if you are a longtime listener, you likely know my tank is filled through connecting with others. One of the easiest ways to do that is through social media. So please come and say hello. Leave a comment letting me know what resonated with you from today's episode or ask a question. You can do that on Instagram or Facebook at Grace Enough Podcast underscore Amber. Good morning, Courtney, and welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. Good morning. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I'm so glad to have you. I... I always say, like, we talk so much before we record that I should have been recording probably. But (laughs) with that said, let's go ahead and jump right into the conversation. I love to begin asking people how they came to know Christ, a little bit about what that journey has looked like, just to set a bit of a foundation for what we're going to dive into. So I was raised in a religious home went to church every Sunday. I was in private school, went to Catholic school. I knew a lot about God. I knew a lot about the religion, but my mother at the time actually had a housekeeper by the name of Havana and Havana helped my mom. And she also helped my grandmother. And so she had really become, I mean, she was just a staple in our family. Yeah. And anytime anything happened, it was, you know, oh, we're going to call Havana to pray about it. When Havana would be at the house, she was constantly praying. Um, I, I laugh. I wasn't a big fan of school in elementary. Well, I was never a big fan of school. <laughs> Let me just take that back. But she would come on Mondays. And if I got sick and I would go home, she was the first person, you know, I'd, I'd come home with a bellyache, go lay down in my mom's bed. Havana would come in. She would lay hands on me. She'd mm-hmm. pray in tongues over me. Wow. And Havana absolutely through the Holy spirit, had a healing power to her. Havana always made it better. And so I knew there was something special about Havana and her relationship with the Lord at a very young age. So much so that sometimes I wanted to fake that I was sick because I didn't want to be at school. And I I laugh. I never faked being sick on Mondays because I just knew (laughs) like something in, you know, my third grade self knew that if I faked it on a Monday, Havana was going to lay hands on me and pray over me. And she was going to know like God, you were going to be found out. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And so I really think that she modeled loving Jesus more than anything Mm. in everything that she did. If Havana was folding the laundry, she was humming a hymn. If you asked Havana a question, she had an answer and and always had a supporting scripture to go with it. You know, she lived a very little means. Uh, There was government housing. She had no car. She had eight children and she was a single wife because her husband had passed away years prior. Mm. But Havana always had joy. So I knew there was something different about Havana and something special. And she was my lifeline. She was my lifeline to prayer. Any troubles that I had, it was call Havana. And so I was a child and then, you know, a young adult 
and continued on with my religious teaching. You know, I was very devout going to church, things like that. It was what was expected of me, but it wasn't until we were having our third child and our church did a program called alpha. Yeah. And I've heard of it. it. Mm -hmm. Our church does it. So, you know, the very first lesson, who is Jesus, right? And then like the second lesson is why did Jesus die? And that was the awakening for me. I was like, oh, this is what Havana has. This is the difference. There's a difference here between. Did you still know Havana at that point? Because we're talking like you said third grade and now you're an adult that's at least in your twenties, right? Oh, Havana was part of our family until she passed away and her and her children. Oh no. She was, she was like another grandmother. Awesome. Yeah. I was an adult with children and I would go to Havana's house for prayer (laughs) and her and her daughters would bring me in a room. And when I tell you could pray down the walls, these women could pray. And, and so I don't remember what year it was that Havana passed away. It's, it's been a little while now. So when I, when we did alpha, it was when my eyes were really open to wait a minute, this isn't about me checking off the boxes Mm. of going to church and doing all the right things. This is more about a relationship. And I, at that point in my life had been through enough Mm -hmm. that I desperately needed something more. Mm. I was still very much, God is judging me. Mm. He's on a throne. He's judging me. And if I don't behave and perform Mm -hmm. the way I should, then I'm going to go to hell. And Mm -hmm. so I, I had a very skewed idea of who God really was. And it was through the alpha course and through learning about who Jesus was, why did Jesus die? Who was the Holy spirit that some of what Havana had made sense. It started connecting the dots for me. And I was like, I want that now I'm going to seek it and pursue it to the best that I can. Yeah. Well, I love that because I wonder how long, you know, Havana really even prayed for your soul. You can pray for so many things, but sometimes we don't really realize how many prayers have gone for the throne for our souls. You know, I've had a conversation with her daughter just a few years ago, actually, because it wasn't long after I had established this relationship with Jesus and I was all in, I mean, like all in, all I wanted to do was study and learn. And I was at a women's conference and it was at that women's conference that I heard God say, you're going to do that one day. Mm. And I looked at my friend who had been a Christian longer than I had. And I was like, did you, did you hear that? <laughs> She's like, what are you what? talking about? <laughs> and I was, I mean, I began to cry and I was like, oh my gosh, I think God's calling me to some sort of women's ministry. And, and everybody that had spoken at that point, up to that point, they all had these stories, Amber of maybe childhood abuse or mm-hmm something devastating happening in their life. And I remember looking at my friend saying, I feel like God's calling me to some sort of ministry, but I don't have a testimony. I don't have what they have. And then in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, you did. (laughs) (laughs) I I did at that point. Now it was a testimony. I didn't want to face. I didn't look Mm -hmm. at it as a testimony. I looked at it as mistakes that could not be used to glorify God. Oh yeah. Only to shame me. And for me to be guilty of, and I would spend the rest of my life reckoning those decisions. So I didn't feel like I had a testimony though. I did. And then in hindsight, after that conference, it was like, God was like, here, this can be a testimony. And here, this can be a testimony. (laughs) And I was like, okay, I'm good on testimonies, Lord. Thank you. Um, I love that. I mean, I don't love it because I know what it's like to walk through things and you're like, no, 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 I'm good. I don't don't need anything else to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really good. Like, let's just, let's just not give me anything else to talk about, but I've talked to her daughter after the fact. And I've asked her, I'm like, I would love to know what your mother was praying for me mm. because I absolutely know that there was communication between her and Jesus with regard to my life and incredible without a doubt. That's such a big testimony of my mother-in-law as well. And I mean, I've said it on this show and I've said it to her. I'm like, girl, I, I totally believe that your prayers before you ever knew me is part of the mm-hmm. reason why I'm doing what I'm doing today. And, you know, she never would be like, well, yeah, it is. She's just, it's like, 
yeah, you know, I mean, so humble about it. And I'm like, yeah, it's your faithfulness to praying for your, the future spouses of your children and for me now. So anyways, I could talk, see, we could get to talking about that too. We could, we could. One of the things um, that I know that's added to your testimony, because it does for all of us. And I think the more children you have, (laughs) the crazier your testimony is, because that's just very true. It's human life. Uh, But you're a mom of six and you talk a lot about how you spent years and you know, probably wrestle through that a bit now as well, but we, you know, hopefully we're being sanctified in the process with your identity really wrapped up in the successes and failures for you as a mom. And, oh girl, can I ever relate to that? And so share a little bit about what you mean by your identity being wrapped up in the successes and failures of motherhood. I think for me that that started, I I was a young mom. My first son was born whenever I was 18. And then, you know, I did, I did go to college. I got a radiology degree. And I think that a lot of people, the same thing can happen in their careers, right? Mm -hmm. You you get a career and then all of a sudden your identity is wrapped up in that. Well, my career was motherhood. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I had baby number one and then I finished college pregnant with baby number two. And then very quickly, three, four, and five came along. And so, you know, my middle four children were born in five years. And so I was a stay at home. I know. Sweet Jesus. Know. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. And, um, and, and honestly, I, I laugh and tell my number two, who was probably my strongest will child. I'm like, the Lord gave me your sister. Who's number three. When you were nine months old, I got pregnant for her. Because if I'd have gotten to age three with you, I'd only have two kids. (laughs) There would not be six. Um, And I mean, he's he's precious. I'm not picking on him, but he knows. He knows he's been my strong-willed kiddo. So my identity, that's what I was. It's what I did. I woke up, I was mom. I, you know, mixed the store as mom. And mind you, I was very young. So there was nothing else that I could identify with Mm. other than being a mother. And so I began to get a very skewed reality in that, okay, if my kids are behaving, if they're all dressed appropriately, if everybody's hair is done, if we appear one way, then I appear good. Mm -hmm. I'm doing my job. And that was great when they were little and I was in control. (laughs) That's exactly right, girl. I mean, that's all great, grand and wonderful. But then all of a sudden they become like their own people. And it's like, wait, what happened? And, you know, and they're like, I don't want to wear a monogram coat clothes anymore. No, 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 I'm not wearing the matching shirt to my sisters. It's not happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it was so much bigger than that as well, because then right. our oldest son, when he got into junior high was, it was his seventh grade year that we faced a hurricane. And we lost our home in a hurricane and, you know, it rocked all of our worlds, but you can imagine a seventh grader being ripped out of school. It was just a mess. It was a whirlwind for all of us. And it was at that time that things shifted for him. Mm-hmm. He began to make decisions that were contrary to what we allowed. He began to sneak around with his friends and, you know, it was little things like, you know, eighth graders and they'd spend the night together. And the next morning my husband would find, you know, beer cans or something and they had snuck out or, you know, and in eighth grade, in eighth grade, it was really young. What's crazy is it was a great group of boys from Mm -hmm. great families. Oh yeah. And we all went to church together and it wasn't any one boy's fault. They were each participatory in their own way. At the same time, I took in my oldest, my, one of my older sister's daughters, she was 16. She needed to come live with me for a while. And I don't know if that was a tipping point for him that Mm. I, my focus wasn't on him anymore. It was on her. I felt like we were on top of all of the bad decisions he was beginning to make, but very quickly his freshman year of high school by Thanksgiving, I had pulled him out of public school. He was being homeschooled. He had made some really devastating choices. And again, my identity was all wrapped up in that. 
mm-hmm. now I'm not a good mom. Mm. I'm not a good person because who, who could raise a child that would make decisions like that? I really bore that burden on myself. And so fast forward more kids and, you know, maybe I had one that was doing really good. And so I began to realize that when my kids were doing really good, I was really good. Yay. Yeah. Me you've done a great job. And when my kids are doing really bad, well, shame on you. Mm. And what could you have done better? And of course, those are questions you ask. You That's know, absolutely right. It, it doesn't matter what your kiddo's struggling with. It's a, it's a valid question to say, how could I have changed this trajectory? What could I have done different? Where did I miss it? Where did I miss that this was the path we were, we were leading? And it's honestly, it's taken a lot of prayer, a lot of counseling, a lot of me literally fighting with Jesus and saying, why him and why me? Yeah. And Amber, I remember where I was standing one day and my dad had asked me the same question. He had, was encouraging me to rescue him in a manner that I would not. I had gotten mm-hmm. to a point that I could no longer rescue him. It wasn't going to be what was best. And Jesus was so clear to me when he gave me the vision of his mother. And I realized she was a bystander in his life Mm -hmm. through the whole process, all the way to the cross. God had a plan for Jesus. This is what he had to do. Mary is put in the middle of it to be a vessel. But at the same time, she's a complete bystander. She has no control over God's will for Jesus's life and what Jesus has to do in order to accomplish what he accomplished for the rest of the world. And so no, my son is not Jesus, but there's a story for him. There's a purpose for his life. And I may not like the process with which he has to get to that end road, but I see now more clearly that I'm a bystander and I can only do what I can do. Mm-hmm. And my identity is not determined by his testimony. My identity is in Jesus and I can only trust him. It is such a hard concept to not just say, but to truly like believe and live and even embody, right? Like I'm reading right now, um, Victory Over Darkness by Neil Anderson. And I mean, it's an old book, but it's been rewritten so many times because it's about just that. Your identity in Christ uh, has to be secure or we're just tossed all over the place. And listen, I'm reading it because I'm being tossed all over the place and realizing Mm -hmm. like, dang it, I thought my identity was firmly rooted in Christ, right? but I'm not really living that way. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. There's a lot of different ways I want to go. And so I'm probably just going to kind of be all over the place when it comes to asking about parts of your story. But how did you begin really reorienting your brain towards that? My heart and my mind have to be secure in Christ because all of this stuff just keeps changing. Was it that encounter of realizing like Mary was the bystander? Was it more than that? Can you go anywhere with that question? Well, that was, that was definitely a profound moment. Like I said, that's been years ago. And I remember exactly where I was standing Yeah, and it is something that, that I'm constantly reminded of and why I love her so much. You know, I was raised in a religion that worshiped Mary and I don't worship Mary but I respect Mm -hmm. the position that she was in. And I look at her as an example of fully and completely surrendering everything 
yeah. to him. It's one of those things that it has to be a constant reminder because I can tell you that today I'm like, I trust you, Lord. I trust you with him. I trust you with all of my children and my identity is in you. And tomorrow I may wake up yeah. and feel completely different. Right. Because what it's I not do, a one and done thing, right? No, no, it is, it is a complete process. And I know when I get busy and I venture away mm. from spending time studying or reading, or even just listening to worship music, mm-hmm. praying, I, you can, I see a shift in my life. And then all of a sudden Satan is so loud. Mm-hmm. He's so loud and he's, well, if you wouldn't have, he wouldn't have. And you should have, and I literally, I, I just have to go back. I have to go back to battle. I have to go back to war yeah. and, and say, you know what? And this is one of the things Havana taught me. I was in a, I was in a situation one time and, I, and it was going to be very difficult. And Havana told me, she said, look, when that person is speaking to you, you know that they're not speaking in love. They're not speaking from Christ. They're not filled with the Holy spirit. So when they're speaking to you, all I want you to say is in the name of Jesus, Satan, get behind me. She's like in your head over and over Courtney, just say in the name of Jesus, Satan, get behind me. And I was probably 20 when she taught me that. And I still do it today. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I can tell you, I've had two nights this week of horrible dreams where I've woken up. I'm like, oh my God, that was horrific. And last night I went on my prayer walk and all I kept saying is, you know what, Lord, tonight I'm going to sleep. And I am not going to believe the lies that the enemy, because he will attack. He'll attack in the middle of the night. He'll attack while you're having fun with your family. Amber, he doesn't need the people that don't believe in Jesus. He, he needs me. He needs me to shut my mouth and quit testifying that because of Jesus, I'm okay. Yeah. Am I great yeah. all the time? No, but you know what? I'm good. That's and right. He's good. It's, it's a security. And that is, that is having your identity firmly rooted in Christ, I can be messy and still be okay. And that doesn't mean that you just revel. I mean, you just roll around in it, but it does say like, there is a security in Christ that cannot be thwarted by Satan, but by golly, that doesn't mean he doesn't sit and try uh, Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. And so, you know, you, you've said there's a, your life is like a series of events and, you know, God's Mm -hmm. been faithful through it all. And so let's go back to the hurricane. First of all, which hurricane was it? Was it Uh, Harvey? It was Rita. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, because Harvey wasn't that long ago. Okay. No. Yeah. We were still living in Louisiana at the time. Okay. All right. So talk a little bit about the faithfulness of God during that time when being someone who as a fifth grader lost my home to a fire Mm. Being in the home when the fire started, I know what the chaos is like. It's not the same. I get that. But I've often said, I can't imagine what it was like for my parents. I mean, they had a fifth grader and an eighth grader. Mm -hmm. And so talk about that experience, God's faithfulness and the chaos. So Hurricane Katrina had just hit New Orleans and at the time, my husband had three offices, New Orleans, Lafayette, and Lake Charles. So the New Orleans office was lost in Katrina. Right. And then two weeks later, three weeks later, Rita comes along. Well, his partner in New Orleans, we had seen the typical, oh, another hurricane's coming. We're going to pack a few things. We're going to leave. Of course, nobody realized what Katrina was going to turn into because yeah. it wasn't just the hurricane. It was all the aftermath of the hurricane. And so- We lived close to the water. And when we knew that the hurricane was coming, my husband was preparing and we were packing up the cars and we moved everything from the first level to the second level because we thought, oh, there's, there's, you know, they were talking about the storm surge coming in and everything else. And so we evacuated pretty early. Uh, I would say we left on a Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday, the hurricane didn't hit until Friday, but there were lots of trees in our neighborhood. And so We got word almost immediately. My husband's brother worked for the sheriff's department. So of course he was still in town. They could only get back to our homes on ATVs. And we knew there was lots of trees laying on the home, but what nobody could see was all the trees that had poked Mm -hmm. in the home. And then of course it just rained. It just rained and And rained and rained. You've got got two back-to-back hurricanes that have just wide span devastation. There's no getting a blue tarp on your house. I want to say it was January. The hurricane was in September. 
January before we got any covering on our roof. So our house was just open to the rain coming in. And it was, it was very chaotic because there was nowhere to live. There was nowhere to go. So many people were in the same boat, right? Nobody had a house. And so we were living in Lafayette at the time we had evacuated further and then made it back to Lafayette. His partner actually had a little rental home that he let us stay in and we stayed there for several weeks. And then we finally found a place that we could move into back in Lake Charles. And it was just the upheaval. Several of the kids were young enough that when we talk about it, they remember a little bit, yeah. but several of them were too young. You know, the, our, our mm-hmm. fifth kid, I was one. He's like, I don't remember that at all. That's one of those things where it's like, oh my gosh, it was such a fundamental part of who mm. we are as a family. And then like, oh. they have no earthly idea what even happened. Well, and it's crazy. Our lives for so many years and even, even just recently, it's always in pre-hurricane, post-hurricane. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, before the hurricane it's so in that house, there was something about that house that was really special. That was the second home that my husband and I bought. It was what we called our big home. You yeah. know, um, we had all these kids that were born and brought into, right this into home. the home. We had, mm-hmm. it, it, oddly enough, right before we lost it in the hurricane, the house, we had a toilet overflow and flood. (laughs) Now, I don't know if you know this about toilets, but if they overflow, everything they touch as far as has to be gone. Yeah. So I was actually six weeks from delivering our fifth son. Oh my gosh. We had to completely redo all the floors. Now, mind you, I've got all these babies crawling around in those tax strips, but anyway, so we had just redone the house redone the floors, had to do some painting, things like that from a toilet flood. And now it's just gone. There were, I think 13 trees, there were, I don't know how many trees, 13 holes, everything. It had to be completely taken down to the studs. And we were just in an upheaval because we're a big family and there's not a lot of places. And it's just hard. It's just hard. Yeah. It's just stuff, you know, and we bounced around quite a few times. I want to say, let me count one, two, three, four, five times before we went home. It took two years to rebuild our house. And in that two years, we were, we were just leasing what was available. And then we, we bought a home, remodeled it. Somebody wanted to buy it. So we sold it and then did it again. And, um, And that was when my niece came to live with me and then the home was ready. And so we went back home and we weren't even there a full year when my husband got an opportunity to move to Texas. And in that year was when my son started making some poor decisions. And we really felt like, okay, you know what? The city never really bounced back. We never really felt settled again. It was just this, this churning of discontent, all the chaos all the time. And we're like, you know what, maybe a move to a different state better job, better opportunities for the kids, a separation from these friends that he had. It'll just be a new beginning for all of us, right? Mm. It, it always sounds good. Everything will be better if we just yeah. do this. Grass and is always many things greener. are better. Yeah. Many things are better. You know, we're happy that we're in Texas, but God's faithfulness through all of that is just simply, we got through it. Mm. Yeah. We survived. It. I know. Right. It's not always this like, Oh, God did A, B, C, and D as much as it's like ordinary faithfulness. Right. And I remember the night of the hurricane, I would say we were, we were baby Christians at the time and I was running an errand. I had a couple of kids with me and I turned on worship music and it was the song. I'll praise you in this storm. Oh yeah. I'll lift my hands. And I remembered that song so vividly because there was a storm, a physical storm that was happening in our hometown that was now destroying every materialistic thing Mm. that we had worked so hard for Mm -hmm. everything that was special to us were in our two cars, every picture, every baby book, you name it. We had it Mm -hmm. because we left with the intention of we come, if we come back to a slab, we're okay. But I just remembering, I don't really know how to praise you in a storm because I don't know if I've been in a storm and this is a physical storm. So let's just see how this is going to work. And, and I think the praise came in that it was so completely out of our control. It, it was like we were flying by the seat of our pants, 
and, and not knowing it, okay, where are we moving next? And are we going to have a home to live in? And, you know, now my husband's lost multiple offices. You know, this wasn't just about our personal loss. This is about right. his business loss as well. At every pass, God just sustained us. He provided mm-hmm. what we needed before we knew we needed it and, you know, provided a home, provided people, provided food, provided a place to lay our heads. And so, um, you know, I can't really look back and go, this was a moment that I was like, oh, God really interceded here because there were so many moments and it was just survival. Right. I get that. I do know that people showing up and like some, some different situations when people will provide things that I can look back and be like, yeah, you know, that was the faithfulness of God. Someone bringing a bag of clothes to us when we had nothing, which Mm -hmm. the interesting thing with hurricane stuff is like you said, I mean, everybody's there. So that's a whole next level when even your neighbors, everybody was hurting. That's right. And in need, the reality is, is that you did move to Texas. And even in that your son has continued to struggle with addiction. And so when it comes to identity and wrestling again through like, God, what did I do wrong? You know, at this point, obviously you're much more secure in your identity in Christ but you know, what has that journey been like for you and your husband, just learning to love somebody broken by addiction who now really isn't a part of your life? It's been a process. It's been a process. Addiction was, um, actually something I've lived with my whole life. I had a sibling that struggled mm-hmm. with addiction. Yeah. And so it wasn't a foreign concept. Oh, absolutely. So it wasn't a foreign concept to me. I spent a long time thinking I was a good girl. Mm. I was a good girl. How come I got the addict? A lot of really prideful assumptions of where I could look at other people and be like, how Ugh. come they didn't get the addict? Yeah. Which of course, then Satan was really good about saying, oh yeah, but you did X, Y, and Z. And this is why he is the way he is. So it's just been this wrestling, this hurricane. If you want to go back to a hurricane analogy, this hurricane in my mind of thoughts and shame and guilt and blame that, that swirl around me. And then God looks at me and says, you're really not that, you're not that important. And that's not a shame thing from God, right? Like, no, there's a lot of things going on in the world for you to think that I singled you out. Right. And I'm not that special in that I could be able to control whether he was or he was an addict, he's God's first. Mm. He's on loan to me. I certainly don't have the power or the control to navigate and, and point his life in the direction in which I, Courtney, want it to go. Yeah. Because his life needs to be in the hands of Jesus. Yeah. Because that's the creator and the maker and the, the path carver for him, not me. And so some of it was me kind of going, you're just, you're not all that. (laughs) You don't have this kind of control, but it's, it's been a wrestling of how do we love him well, but not accept it. And that's, you know, that's, what's really hard with addiction is it's coming to a place where you fully surrender, just like an addict needs to fully surrender their disease. The family of an addict has to fully surrender them. And for many, many years, I would be on my knees and I would say, I'm giving him to you, Lord, you just do with him as you please. And just keep him alive and all the prayers that I could pray for him. But so often I'd walk away from that moment of me literally visualizing, leaving him at the the foot of the cross, but I never let go. I always had one hand. It was always just one hand holding on. And honestly, it took the other kids getting older. I've always been very honest with my other children, depending on their age about what's happening. My siblings struggle with addiction was a secret Mm. and secrets destroy. Yeah. And it is Satan's foothold, man. That's his playground. He loves, loves, loves it. Absolutely. And I saw that at a very young age when our oldest began to struggle. I immediately told my husband, this will not be a secret. I will not let Good Satan for you have that. It won't be a secret to other people either. It took a little while for me to admit that to other people, but within our home, it was always known. It was always talked about. And so the other children began to get older. 
And I began to see that all of my energy and who I was, was so wrapped up in how am I going to fix him Mm. that they were beginning. I just didn't feel like I was giving my attention to them the way that I should have. Right. And you had five other children. And then, you know, I just realized I couldn't do it. I mean, look, Amber, if you could scream addiction out of somebody, I've done it. If you could cry addiction away, I've done it. There is not any amount of money that we have not been willing to spend to help him. And we have spent and taken away from the other kids. I've done it all. Mm. It's not what I can do. Yeah, It's what he can do. And so what I finally realized is my role as a bystander in his life, like we talked about with Mary, my role for my other children though, was to be a barrier. Mm. And I had to, I had to be a solid wall that said, this is no longer, I cannot allow this to infiltrate their lives. You can't keep circling back of you're well, you're not well, you're well, you're not well. And really COVID was the tipping point for that because Mm -hmm. everybody had moved home, including him. He had come home. He was clean at the time. He lived in our home. He established a really great relationship with the youngest two kids that he really had not been around for a good chunk of their lives. And it was sweet because they're both boys. And so they played games together and it was wonderful. It was actually a beautiful time for our family, the Christmas before COVID. And then when COVID hit, because it forced us all together, what ultimately happened and what I realized is even in a lockdown, even when you can't go anywhere, nobody's leaving. If an addict wants what they want, they can get it. Mm. And now it's in my home. Mm. And now my children, like, how do I protect them? And so when he relapsed in our home, Mm. there were, and it was COVID, there were no treatment centers that were taking anybody. Nobody was taking anybody in person. The best I could do is sit him in front of a computer on a zoom call. Well, he's an adult. I mean, we're not talking about a teenager. We're talking about a 20 six-year-old man, but that was when my mama bear stepped in. And, and I will say this, my husband and I have worked very, very hard to stay on the same page Mm. at all times with regard to this, because our thought process was over our dead bodies. Is this going to rip us apart? Yeah, absolutely not. As it so so, often does, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But we process it different. I'm mom and he's dad. And there is a different processing to a child hurting between mothers and fathers. Mm. You know, fathers want to fix, we can fix it. Let's do this. And I mean, mothers do too, but emotionally is what I'm meaning. Right. Yeah. There's a different breakdown. And so we had to be very consistent in our communication with each other. Sometimes we didn't agree, but it was like, okay, we're, we've, we've got to battle this out until we come to an agreement and we have to support each other. This, you know, what we're allowing, what we're not allowing. And I think it was whenever I realized I needed to not continue to build a wall around the oldest and his addiction Mm. and trying to control that and fix that and make that better. When my wall shifted and all of a sudden I was building a wall around the other five was when I was like, okay, if this is who you want to be, I can love you as an addict. I don't love you any different, but I cannot tolerate it. And I will not accept it. And I will not put them in danger. And, and as soon as, oh, it was, it was because as soon as COVID lifted, we had him move out, you know, you, you've got to go and he left and it's, we just came on a year since the last time I saw him. Yeah. Gosh, no matter what kind of mama you are, um, that's just hard. And it's heartbreaking, right? And I don't mean what kind of mama, like, I mean, in the sense of whether you're a good mom or bad mom, I'm talking about whether you're black, blue, purple, or white, uh, whether you're high class, low class, middle class, live in Japan or live in America. We all want our babies to thrive and fly and Mm -hmm. be a part of our family. And so when you think about that, it's been a year and I know you posted something about it and it, it definitely made me think like, yeah, God, you, you do, you sustain us in ways that mm-hmm. maybe aren't the way we want you to, but you do. Right. And so, um, what would you say as we begin to close out here when it comes to, I know you had said like 
God is not just allowing these things to happen to me. Instead, they are things that actually I now can go forward and share his glory through the things that have happened. Mm -hmm. How would you share that with others? Ministry has always been something that I knew God had called me to, and and I've run from it for many years. And for several years, I, I held a position in our community that was, I was very well known. People knew who I was. My face was recognizable. And mind you, in the middle of, you know, being in this political, in the face of everybody in the community, again, there's a hurricane happening in my home. Mm-hmm. And I think what I realized, a lot of people would see me and just knew that I had six kids. They had no idea what was actually happening behind closed doors with, with our oldest son. Right. Cause you were, what, what position did you hold on the board of education? Uh, so I was on the school board and then I was the president for two and a half years. So I was vice president. I, you know, I was, I held other positions, but when you're the president, of course, you're like, right. really your face is kind of everywhere. And I have a pretty distinctive haircut. So I couldn't even hide <laughs> in the grocery store. I love your hair. And so <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. So all this was happening and here's what bothered me, Amber. I'd see people They'd recognize me. They knew I had six kids, didn't know the backstory or what was happening. And mind you, look, I'm, my oldest isn't the only one that struggled. Like, yes, he's struggling with this, the most severe thing, but you know, I've got, I've had kids that have had anxiety, yeah. ADHD. I had one that battled alopecia. One of my girls oh, battled man. alopecia. The other five that they got some stuff like yes. none of these, because none of these we're human beings. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, people would always stop me and go, oh my gosh, I don't know how you do what you do. Or they'd see pictures of my family and they'd say, your family's so perfect. Oh my God, mm. you're just so perfect. And it began to bother me. Cause you're like, we're really not. Really bother me because I was like, you have no idea. Mm. Let me tell you about this picture. This picture that hangs in my house. That is my all-time favorite picture. If I broke down what each kid was struggling with at that moment of that picture, and that's why it's huge. And that's why it stays in my house. And when people come over and say, I love that picture, I'm very open to say, well, he was high as a kite. Mm. (laughs) He was not well, he had been vomiting all morning because Mm. he was withdrawing and we didn't know it at the time. This one didn't show up in the right clothes though. I mean, didn't I train these children better when mom says match, we're going to match you know, he didn't show up in the right clothes. So it was a big fight on getting him dressed. And, you know, just this one was complaining because it was hot. And yes. And so it bothered me in that as I wore these masks of I'm fine and Mm. everything's fine. What I was doing is all the work that Jesus was doing in my life, that center of that storm, you know, the eye of the hurricane, there is no movement. Mm-hmm. It's just stillness. Well, he's the eye of my hurricane. But what was happening is when I was wearing masks of I'm fine, everything's great. Look at us. Then I wasn't just masking the reality of what was happening in my house. I was masking the work that Christ was doing in each one of my children, in my marriage, in me personally. And he didn't sign up to come to my masquerade ball. Mm-hmm. And Amen. then when I realized as I started noticing, because he would send me people, people would message me, not knowing that I had an addict because I was in a position in the school district. Moms would message me and say, Hey, my kiddo goes to school X, Y, and Z. There's a lot of drugs there, or he's gotten involved with drugs. And is there anything y'all can do because they wanted the school district to fix it? Right. Mm. Of course we do. Of course we would love to fix that. But then it gave me an opportunity to say, Hey mama, I understand. I got it. I've got an addict. And then they were like, wait, what? So then I found myself talking to other teenagers and other families and saying, look, it may be a little pot right now. And you think it's mm-hmm. no big deal because your friends are doing it. But let me tell you where that's going to lead. Right. Yes. Girl. And so that was when it was really eye opening to me that though I don't want this to be my testimony, I don't want the testimony of having a son that's an addict that I haven't seen in a year. I didn't choose that but I can use that. And so I, I had a shift and it's only through, through prayer and through Jesus saying, this is how, this is how you can, I look at everything that comes at me now. And I say, I may not like it, but I can use it. And I over my dead body, am I not going to let God be glorified in this? I will not let Satan win the battle of my mind 
the mm. battle of, of my family, you're not allowed here. Only Jesus is allowed here. And so I don't know what my oldest son's story, how it's going to end. That's right. I know how I want it to end, but what I tell myself and what I'm reminded of is that no matter what Jesus loved him first Mm -hmm. before he gave him to me, he loved him first and he loves him most. Mm. And I just, it's a constant reminder that I have to surrender my identity. I have to surrender. Am I good enough? not good enough. I have to surrender my marriage. I have to surrender my other children and I have to surrender him and believe, do I truly believe that amidst the hurricane of life, Mm -hmm. that the eye of the storm is Jesus. And that's where I can find my sanctuary, my calm. And that's what Havana did. And that's what she taught me. Well, and you know, really to wrap all of it up, I think back to what you shared earlier about, you know, just sitting at that conference as a young woman and knowing like God has called me into ministry. And it's a, honestly a great picture, Courtney, because I, because I know you personally, I know that there's also some frustration in that because you and I both have felt that call yeah. early on and been like, but then I don't see some of this fulfilled in the way that I want it fulfilled. And so we're acting out in some of that ministry. And then we're also still waiting, but you know, Mm -hmm. I think about Moses and how he, you know, I mean, 40 years was a long time that he waited for some things to happen. And so you did launch Courtney Doyle ministries and you do Mm -hmm. have a masquerade of motherhood podcast. And so let's close by telling us a little bit about that and what you do and what your hopes are for it. The, the podcast is uh, something that I wasn't expecting to do. I had a mentor with ministry and, and we were talking through, I'm, I'm writing a book and, and she said, have you considered a podcast? And I thought, huh, maybe, maybe I could do that. And it has been such a blessing because the, what I do is I bring other moms on and I say, what masks are you wearing? Mm-hmm. And it's been incredible to see, you know, moms say, well, I've, I've worn a mask of shame my whole life. And this mm-hmm. is why. And well, how did God help you remove that? How did you realize you needed to take that off or the mask of perfectionism? I mean, that's a biggie mama's yep. mama's wear that one. And look, I put these on, right. I, I, I put them on and I it's take not them like and, we take them off and put them oh, on yeah. the wall and leave them there. We, we, no, we put them we off like and them. on. Mm-hmm. Look, and I'm from Louisiana. So when I think of masks, I immediately think of Mardi Gras Mardi masks. Gras. They're pretty. They yeah. are, they're deceiving and they're beautiful. And, and so they can be that way in your life. So just the mask of guilt, the mask of blame, the mask of perfectionism. And it's been so enlightening to hear other mothers say, this is what I've, I'm battling. And this is how God is helping me to remove it. And it's making me a better mother, not by the standards of whether you're good or bad, but just, you can see the fruit of that in your children's lives, in your relationship with your children. Well, it's um, sanctification, but, Courtney, right? Like it is, it's not yes. really about like, oh, now I'm good. It's like, no. Okay. Another layer of that mm-hmm. burdensome flesh or sin nature is being stripped away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is a beautiful process. Yes, it is. Frustrating, <laughs> but beautiful. Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course it is. And so with the ministry, my big dream is that I would be doing what God said I would be doing. And that would be that I'd be standing on a stage in front of other women, just because I know that he has given me a story, multiple stories. And what I want to say is no matter what, you're not alone. Here's somebody else who's been through some stuff, not stuff that I like, not stuff that I want to choose some stuff I'm ashamed of and stuff that I'm, you know, I'm still reckoning and working through yep. and I will be till the day I'm home. Christ Jesus. That's right. But at the end of all of that, he is still good. Mm-hmm. And to know him is to find a joy and a peace in your life that I genuinely can't put words to. There's no book that's going to explain that. There's no speech that I could give. It's, I woke up this morning and I had a really beautiful night's sleep. Mm. And when I woke up, the first thing on my mind was not, where's my son? Is he okay? Oh my gosh. You know, for many years, Amber, I literally, every breath I took was a breath of worry, a breath of Mm -hmm. fear, a breath of, oh my God. I mean, I hardly could eat. I hardly could function. I mean, I cried behind closed doors that every time a door closed, I was crying. 
And you know what? Haven't cried in a really long time about that. And uh, but I know some people may say, oh, how could you not cry? Because Jesus sustains me. How, how do I not think about it every day, all day long? I don't know. That is the Holy Spirit that's saying, you're okay. Yeah. I'm and it good. was a process again. Like you said, yeah. it's not like you just woke up and never worried about it. it it's more of the worry doesn't change it. And so I'm going to press mm-hmm. into the Lord and let him do this mm-hmm. work in me. And now the work while not finished, it has progressed forward. Yes. Yeah. Well, Courtney, thank you for being here today. I appreciate that you talk about masks, just being a mom myself. I mean, I put them on and off all the time. And mm-hmm. so, um, go listen to masquerade of motherhood or M O M podcast and visit <laughs> know, oil ministries. <laughs> when I named it, when I named it masquerade of motherhood, of course I had prayed about this for a while and this is what masquerade just kept coming and coming. And then I named it masquerade of motherhood. And then it wasn't until I created the logo for it that I was like, that's that mom. mom. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. It's perfect. But thank you so much. Many blessings and favor on you, friend. Thank you. Same to you. It's been a joy. I would love to connect with you on Instagram and Facebook at Grace Enough Podcast underscore Amber. And next week begins a five-part series on a topic we have heard a lot about in recent headlines, but may understand a very little. And that is the abuse of power in the church and how that abuse wounds the body of Christ. I will be sitting down with Amy Fritz to discuss her family's experience with Ramsey Solutions, Dr. Diane Langberg, Caitlin Beatty, Lena Abiyajamra, and Wade Mullen. It is going to be a power-packed five weeks. So make sure you are following Grace Enough on your favorite listening app. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time. This episode was brought to you in part by the Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.